Hey, hey, it's episode number 75 on the VBAC Link podcast, and we're so excited for today's episode from a friend of ours named Sarah. She's actually one of our followers that's been kind of with us from the beginning, so it's pretty awesome to have her with us and have her have such a familiarity with our podcast and our blog and everything else that we have to offer. So we are so excited to have her. And of course, we have a review of the week and Julie is going to tell you all about this review. I sure am. I'm excited for Sarah. I recognize like her Instagram account and she's been a big part of our community and she is another one of our VBAC certified doulas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we go with that review. This review is from Brittany Henley 9478 and she says, I am pregnant with my second baby and will try for a VBAC in four months. Since finding this podcast, I have learned so much and have gained a lot of confidence in my decisions. I am so grateful for the podcast, their IG, their Instagram, and their website. I can't wait to come back and share my successful VBAC story with them later this year. Oh my gosh, I love it, I love it, I love it. I love hearing that this is helping everyone as they prepare for their VBAC. And Brittany, I think I think we've seen you around in our Facebook community, but if you are not there, you should join it. And so should you, woman of strength who is listening right now, um, head on over on Facebook if you're not already part of our VBAC link community. We have a great support group there waiting for you. You are tuned in to the VBAC link podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, it's Podcast Wednesday, and like we said, we've got a great story from our friend Sarah today. So without further ado, we are going to turn over the time to Sarah, and then at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about um, some steps on how to get your partner on board with VBAC, because I know my husband was a little apprehensive, and I know many other husbands are. So we're going to talk about that, so stick around at the end. Sarah, we're going to turn the time over to you. Okay. Well, I am so excited to be on the podcast. It's true. I have been following you guys from the beginning, so this is pretty exciting to be on here. Um, I am, I before my birth, I would say, would not consider myself a person that would be um, really outspoken, obviously, about birth, and I think that my birth kind of changed that for me and really changed the direction of my life and uh so I'm super excited to share my story and uh, hopefully inspire some people out there. I guarantee you will. Yay. Okay. So I am a mom of uh, three kids. Um, so I'm going to be talking about my third birth today, um, my second VBAC. And just a little brief history on me. I had three kids in a little under four years. So I had a very steep learning curve. Um, with birth and parenting all at the same time. We got pregnant with our first child and we suffered with infertility for a few years. And so I was hoping the birth would be something that would be very much in my control. 
and go the way that I wanted because infertility kind of took that away from us. And um, it didn't end up working out that way. My daughter flipped breech at 37 weeks. And I didn't know. um, I was a first-time mom, and I was really trusting of my provider. And when we went in and found out that the baby was breech, they mentioned ECV, an external cephalic version. Not sure if I said that right. Um, And she mentioned that, but my daughter was actually footling breech. And Mm -hmm. that, per my provider, was a harder position to get to turn and... She mentioned an emergency C-section if it didn't go right. And after all the struggle that we had been through, we really did not want an emergency C-section. I had been pregnant and I had heard those horror stories, you know, about people who weren't awake when their baby was born. And I was really scared for that to happen. And so we just decided to schedule a C-section. And my provider really didn't give me many other options for things I could try on my own to try to get baby to flip. And so we basically got two weeks to change plans. And my daughter was a plan C-section and she came out and was healthy and crying. And we had waited so long to meet her that we were grateful, but Mm. she was immediately taken away from me. Um, Mm. And I was very, very sick from the anesthesia. And so it was several hours of me being sick before I got to hold her and everyone was in the waiting room wanting to hold her and I just remember I said I don't care how mad they are I'm going to be the first one that holds her so everyone else can just deal with it good um and so so her experience really I was I was happy she was here it just was very different from what I thought it would be I was hoping to have a natural childbirth you know, without drugs. And that was obviously a total 180. And so from her experience, we found ourselves pregnant actually again before her first birthday, which after all our struggles was a very pleasant surprise. But I was still kind of coping with her birth and working through that on my own. So I ended up finding a local ICANN group, the International Cesarean Awareness um, Network. And I ended up asking for doula recommendations in the group, and I found a doula. And so my doula really talked me through all my options. I knew that I wanted to have a VBAC because I had started to do some research, and I kind of felt that the information I was given the first time didn't really give me all the options, and I didn't really want to feel that way again. So I really leaned on my doula's knowledge and I was very open with her about everything my provider was saying. And based on things I was told, like trying to schedule a repeat C-section at my eight-week appointment, my doula did not tell me I should switch providers, but she told me to get a second opinion. And so I did. And so I ended up switching providers with my pregnancy. And long story short on that, with my doula's help and my husband's support, we ended up having our first feedback with us our first son, which was an amazing experience. And that ended up being a different process than I thought it would be too. Um, I had a long labor with him, which foolishly I wasn't expecting. I was like, well, it was pretty rough the first time, you know, maybe I'll get a little easier this time. And it wasn't. So anyway, when I fell pregnant for the third time, I knew that things would be different for me because I knew it was our last baby. And so I knew it was my last chance to hopefully get the birth experience that I had wanted the first time around. And so I really, really educated myself 
I had switched providers before, and so it wasn't something that I was afraid to do. And ICANN does a really good job with training and advocacy and education. And so I knew that if I wasn't feeling comfortable that I needed to take the advice that I was getting from leadership in my group and from things I would tell members themselves. If you're with a provider and they're telling you things that don't make you feel supported and comfortable, that you should switch. And so it was hard for me to make that switch. I always kind of brushed that off a little bit, like, well, it's it's not as hard as you think it would. But I was in a practice that was really very small. I had seen the same person for my entire pregnancy. The caveat for them was that since I'm in Nebraska, midwives here don't get to practice full scope of care. And so oh. the midwives were supervised by an OB that had to back them up. And their backup arrangement entailed him being there when you were actually pushing at the hospital. And so they required that you have a consult with the OB mm-hmm. um, if you wanted to be back, which I was okay with having the consult. I, from doing ICANN, realized that midwifery care here is not the same as it is other places. And so um, midwives here are treated as a less than provider, even though they are fully qualified to deal with all sorts of issues. So I met with him, and he was an MFM, like a maternal fetal medicine doctor. And so Mm -hmm. going in, I knew he dealt with high-risk pregnancies primarily. And so being a VBAC to him was considered high-risk, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I met with him, and I just didn't really like his demeanor. And he used a VBAC calculator with me. And... I we don't like I was like I was meeting with him and I actually had to go to that appointment by myself. My husband was sick and so he wasn't able to go with me. So I was by myself and I just remember him talking and I just remember like seeing spots like because I was so mad about what he was saying and I just knew that he couldn't be in my birth space. He couldn't be there. I wouldn't bird the way that I wanted. I wouldn't be comfortable doing it. And so I was past, it was probably around my 20-week appointment when I had to meet with him. And then I ended up switching. I thought about it a lot. I ended up switching around 28 weeks to a different group in town. It's a group that has the best VBAC statistics where we live, but it was a group practice. So I knew that I wouldn't necessarily be choosing the provider that I would have delivering. And so since I switched late, there was a possibility that I would be not meeting all of the providers before I delivered with them. So my husband was a real sport because from doing ICANN, he knows not to tell me no about birth, really, (laughs) Um, for the most part. (laughs) For the most part, because he he knew that I knew a lot more about it, and he really wanted me to have the experience that, that we had been lacking. And honestly, like, he knew it was his last experience too and so he was hoping that he could have a little bit different experience too so as I mentioned midwives don't practice full can't practice full scope of practice here and that's in a hospital setting but also having a home birth here is very difficult as Mm -hmm. well that's made national news recently our issues here with home birth midwifery and that was originally what I wanted for the third birth well that was like the one thing he told me no on (laughs) was a home birth 
And so I kept giving him a hard time because we lived fairly close to a hospital. And I was like, you know, we're really close. If something happens, like, we're super close. It would be okay. And I just kept trying to push him, and he said no. And so I finally resigned myself towards the end of my pregnancy that this was going to be where I was, I was going to have to deliver at a hospital again. And so I kind of knew that there was going to have to be a compromise there but that I was going to try to labor as much as possible the way that I could. So I decided and I told him, I said, okay, you don't want a home birth. Well, I don't agree with that. I understand it's your, you know, he had a big fear of uterine rupture. And I said, okay, I understand that fear. And I understand that for you, the best way to make that lesson is to give birth at the hospital. I said, but I am going to labor at home as long as possible. And he's like, what do you mean? I, like a car baby? And I was like, not a car yeah, baby. Yeah, like a car <laughs> baby. Not a car baby. My but, dream birth right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe the roads are maintained out, out better in Salt Lake. I believe they are, but that's a pretty risky well. proposition here. And so, yeah, we got kind of towards the end of my pregnancy, and I was working full time. And I would say I had prodromal labor fairly strong for at least a week where I would like, I, I worked a desk job and I would get up to go to the copier and I'd be standing at the copier and, oh, there's one. And if I stood there long enough, I would, I would have a, you know, a few contractions if I was making a bunch of copies. And I, I remember that people at my work were actually starting to joke that I was going to have the baby at work um, mm-hmm. because I, I would get up and have another contraction and and so I had told my husband that it was like a Monday and I had told him that I kind of had contractions all day and he was like okay well you can't drive yourself to the hospital like he's like I'm going to tell you no on that too like you're not driving yourself to the hospital and I was like well and he's like no you're not and so I had prodromal labor pretty frequent contractions I would say like during the day they were I probably had like three to four an hour. So, I mean, they were they were noticeable. I was sleeping through them at night for the most part, but I definitely, you know, from laboring before, could, could tell that my body was um, gearing up. And with my first feedback, I went overdue. And so, of course, I went overdue again. So to the shock and horror of my coworkers, I showed up again and again and again. Aww. I actually ended up going That's quite so a few hard. days over. Because I actually hadn't really told anyone but my boss my due date, but people, I had said my due date was like late May to early June. So when I kept showing up and it was approaching, you know, more mid-June, they were like, okay, at <laughs> some point you're going to have the baby, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I remember I, I, it was a Friday and I went to work that day and I was drinking a lot of water because I was having more contractions. And I would say I was floating on what some people would call the denial river. So I just was like, well, I'm just, it's a Friday. I'm just going to work through this. Like, you know, do, do life as long as you can is what my, my doula had told me. We did hire a doula again. And she had just really emphasized that do life as long as you can. And then when you can't anymore, then, you know, then it's going to be time to have a baby. And so I did that. And I remember I got home that night and I could kind of tell that things were starting to probably be the real deal at that point. And I 
helped my husband make dinner, and as we were making dinner, I would have contractions, and I would say they were contractions I couldn't ignore because he would be in the middle of talking to me, and I'd just, you know, hold up my finger and be like, you're cute, but hold that thought. (laughs) And so I could, he, he was like, he had read through the doula handbook that she had given us, and like, I could tell he was starting to, you know, time the contractions. Something I specifically did not want to do for myself because it didn't matter to me. I wanted to just really listen to my body and not be focused on the time. And so we made dinner, ate dinner um, as a family with our two kids. And then I just asked my husband, I said, do you think you can put the kids to bed? You know, I'm just, I'm still having contractions and they're kind of picking up. I just, I don't want to worry the kids because our daughter was almost four and our son was like two and a half. So I just was like, I don't really want to worry. I'm like, they already know that we're going to have a baby and there's been a million questions from my daughter. And I just didn't want her worried like that mommy was, mommy was in pain and stuff like that was really worrying for her. She knew we were going to have a baby and go to the hospital, but she was concerned about the pain part of it for me. And so I just went to our room and the lights were off, and we had one of our dogs came with me, and I just really focused on laboring by myself in the dark where I was comfortable, and my husband got the kids to bed by some miracle all by himself without any fit, and so he'd, like, come in and check on me, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm still having them, and he'd be like, how often, and I'd be like, I don't know, and he'd be like, okay, that's not helpful information. (laughs) We kind of need to start timing these, and I was like, no, we don't. And so he left for a while and he's like, you know, you just kind of keep me posted because he was kind of clean. He went to clean up dinner and, you know, make sure we had the hospital bag and everything ready. And so he kept checking in with me. And I just remember just, you know, focusing inward when I had a contraction and just being really in tune with my body and realizing that they were getting closer, longer, stronger, and closer together. I'm a doula. So longer, stronger, closer together. This is labor. Like, I get that. And so I was like, hmm, well, I'm at home. I should get in the shower because I won't be able to do that at the hospital as a VBAC because you get a hep lock and you get that lovely continuous fetal monitoring. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do much of what I wanted once I got to the hospital. So I got in the shower and I remember my husband opened the door and he's like, hey, how's the shower? And I was like having a contraction and I couldn't talk to him. And he was like, okay. And he just stood there and he waited until it was over. And he's like, so uh, how many of those have you had while you've been in here? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And he was in there not more probably than two or three minutes. And I had another one. And he was like, okay, so I think you should get out of the shower now. I was like, no, I'm good. And he's like, no, we're going to get out of the shower. Mm -hmm. Because he was He was getting a little suspicious, I think, that I was like, maybe I can pull off this home birth. And so I just remember the shower felt great, but it was making my contractions really intense. And so I got out of the shower, and so we probably ate dinner-ish between 6 and 6.30, finished around 7. He got the kids down around 8. So I'm trying to give, like, a timeline, but I wasn't timing contractions or looking at the clock. And so about... 10.30, 10.45 ish, I had gotten out of the shower, dried off, you know, got some clothes on and the contractions were starting to become pretty intense and I couldn't ignore them and I couldn't talk through them and I just remember I was starting to make noise and I was really starting to move with them 
and I didn't want to go out where there was lights. I just wanted to stay in our room where it was quiet and dark. And so my husband was like, yeah, so I'm going to call my mom now because someone needs to watch the kids. And so he called his mom about 1045. And she lives about 20 minutes away. But since it was late, she didn't get there till about 1115. And I remember she got there and we sat, you know, sat in the living room and I just sat down to like chit chat with her as my husband looked at me as if I was nuts. He was like, what are you doing? I was like, what? Your mom's here. I'm going to talk to her for a minute. And he's like, he's just looking at me. And you know that look your husband gives you when he's been waiting for a while. And so I sat and I talked with her probably like 10 or 15 minutes. And I had a few contractions during that. And he was like, yeah, so we're going to go now. We're kind of done entertaining. Like, she's got it. We're good. Uh-huh. And his mom was like, okay, just let me know when the baby comes. And she had, they had helped with our first or our second labor. So she was like, well, maybe this will be a while, you know. So we got in the car, and it's about a 20 to 30-minute drive. And my husband hopped on, and we have to – he drove down the street. Then we hopped on the interstate. And I remember he – actually like took a road that was really really bumpy on the way he like kind of took a shortcut and I remember glaring at him in the dark and I was like you know I'm in labor right you seriously know I'm in labor and he's like yeah I'm taking this shortcut and I was like could you hit more potholes you know how you kind of get a little testy in labor like could you a little could you hit more potholes could you hit more red lights you know and so when we got to the hospital There's like a circle drive you can pull up in or there's like a parking garage and the parking garage is quite a bit further away. And he was like, well, do you want me to do the circle drive or the parking garage? And I was like, oh, yeah, we I definitely like to walk some more. So, yeah, let's park in the parking garage. And we had called our doula on the way to the hospital and told her that change of plans don't come to our house, come to the hospital. And she lived It was going to be interstate basically for her either way. So she's like, okay, great. I'll meet you at the hospital. So we pull in the garage and she pulls in right next to us. And it was total luck that she pulled in next to us because I get out and I immediately have a contraction because they kind of slowed a bit in the car and I got out and like I immediately had a super strong contraction. And so she gets out of her car and she's like, hey there, how you doing? And my husband's like, she needs to get inside. She's like, okay. And so it's a walk. It's quite a walk. It's not, I don't know if it's like quarter, it's it's not a quarter mile, but when you're in labor, it might as well be. And so I remember that we had to walk to the security desk because this was the middle of the night. So the hospital that we were going to gets um, triage for like gunshots and stuff. So they have it pretty locked down at night. And so we had to walk to the security desk. And I remember I was having contractions. And I was actually going through transition <laughs> as we were walking oh, um, <laughs> to the, in the hospital, like, to get to the security desk. And so we get there, and it was like a scene out of a movie. There was a guy in front of us who didn't speak English very well, and the security guard was trying to help him, and our doula, I was just like ready to just push both of them out of the way so that we could get where we needed to go. And so he finally got checked in. It was probably a couple minutes, but I was, I had had like almost two contractions in that time. So I was like, we should 
And so I'm standing there, they're trying to check us in, and I, like, grab the podium and just, like, let out this huge roar. Mm-hmm. And the doula's like, so we're going to have the baby here if you don't let us go upstairs. And he just was like, go, just just say, go. Do they think you were lying? <laughs> I know. I don't know. Does he see a lot of people trying to swipe, you know, like, get things in in a pregnant belly? I don't know. You never but, know, I guess, these days. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> So we got we got up there, and while we were, like, riding the elevator up, it had been funny. My last appointment, it was a midwife group I was with. She, she had told me several stories about people, like, having an elevator baby or a lobby baby or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I, I think she jinxed me. Like, I'm feeling, feeling pretty close to that right now. And so we walked in um, to the check-in waiting area for for labor and delivery, and I don't know, there again, because it was the middle of the night, there just didn't seem to be a sense of urgency about getting us checked in, so, you know, I made some more noise, and I remember the desk lady was like, so I'm going to, yeah, let me just uh, call someone for you real quick, and so the doors open, and out comes this nurse and she's in full surgical garb like she literally even has like the plastic mask over her face and she introduces herself and I don't remember her name you never remember their name do you and uh so she's like she's like hi introduces herself you know I I'm trying to introduce everybody and she's like okay yep that's great and I said I think I need to go to the bathroom and she's like do you now she's like let's go together now (laughs) <laughs> let's go together and I said um and she's like yeah you're you're not gonna go to the bathroom by yourself because I was like I feel like I need to poop and she's like do you mm-hmm. yeah so I get in the bathroom and I get in the bathroom and I'm sitting there and I think I was just intending to have a toilet baby at that point and she was like so yeah these toilets are really shallow they're not actually a great place to have a baby she's like you know if you feel like it it'd probably be better to move in the toilet (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they were they were really shallow it wasn't (laughs) and she so she's like why don't we you know maybe think about moving towards the bed and I was just like a hot mess at that point like I everything was kind of a blur but I remember getting on the bed and I remember that I was a V-back. So I remember I got on the bed on hands and knees. And I remember they were like, have you thought about what position you want to push in? And I said, well, this one. Because I wasn't moving. I was just done. I was like, I have walked a marathon to get up here. Security almost caught my baby. Like, no, we're just, I'm good. And I remember like, I had my hands over the back of the, I actually had my hands over the back of the bed, and they were like, okay, well, we need to do your half lock, and I was like, okay, if you can wait between contractions or whatever, and they were just coming, like, on top of each other, and I just felt like I needed to push, and so they did get it in, and luckily they, like, got it in and were done, but this poor nurse, not even a poor nurse, but she had to, like, hold the monitor, like, at the very bottom of my belly, because my son was so far down already because I was about to push him out that like she was basically like monitoring my vagina almost at that oh point gosh. like she's like well we have to we have to have a heart rate if the head is out 
the heart rate is yeah. not going to be found very easily. <laughs> yeah. So the head wasn't quite I out, know, but I mean, she was very, she was, silly. we got to know each other well at that point. And so I remember that, I remember thinking as I was about to push, there was a very real, very thin realization that there was no drugs at that point. It was too late. And I knew that that's what I wanted, but that was like the first moment that I actually put the pieces together that there would be nothing, that this was it. This is how it was going to be. And my husband was like, you can do this. And I remember saying, this effing hurts. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you're doing great. Because mm -hmm. he and my doula was like, you're doing great. You're beautiful. You know, and I was like, there's no way any of that was true because I was sweating to death. And I gave one push, and I remember the head, his head came out. Yeah. But because I was on hands and knees, I couldn't see. I just, I couldn't see anything what was going on. Uh -huh. Like, they're like, that's the head. And I remember that I pushed again, and nothing changed. His head did not, like, his head stayed out, but his shoulders did not come out at all. And I remember them saying, like, okay, we need, Sarah, we need to try to turn him because he's not coming out. So they just did like probably a quarter turn. I don't, I couldn't see, so I don't know exactly what they did, but like a quarter turn. And then I gave one more push and he was out. So I didn't push for very long, but I remember people saying things like, we'll try to breathe him out. There was no breathing him out. I had the fetal ejection reflex, like get the baby out, like just get him out and when you're on hands and knees, it's so weird because then, like, he's, like, between my legs, but not, like, in a way that it's easy to, like, reach for him. So I remember trying to reach down and, like, pull him to my chest, but he didn't have a long enough cord. So he only got to, like, my stomach. Mm. <laughs> he just didn't have a very long, long cord. And so they, like, at least got me over back on my back because I couldn't do very much with him on my stomach holding him the way that I was. So that's why some of the pictures are really awkward that I had sent in. But he was, you know, absolutely perfect, great apgars and everything. And I remember my husband was like, he doesn't cry much, but I know he shed a couple of tears. And he was like, you are so strong. You can absolutely Aww. do anything. Um, my doula uh, was the one that took the pictures, and she was – she was like, well, you're my fastest labor support I've ever done because from the time we checked in till the time he was born was, or from the time we got to the room till the time he was born was like 15 or 20 minutes. Wow. So it was very fast once we got like to the hospital room. And who knows how fast I would have had him if I didn't have the whole security debacle and yeah. all. <laughs> I think I was probably like, I don't want to have the baby at security right now. And so... Things that were interesting to me, I guess, about him in particular was my last appointment, I was over 40 weeks, and they wanted to do a growth scan because my fundal measurement was reading really small, probably three to four weeks smaller than what it should have been. So they told me that he was going to be a, a bigger baby than my second one. And I kind of shrugged it off, and I didn't, I didn't believe them at all about that, and uh so he was 19 and a half inches long, which was about the same as my other two. And he was seven pounds, three ounces, which is about what I thought he would be. But the ultrasound had said that they thought he was going to be like eight to eight and a half. 
pounds. Why do the and, ultrasounds uh, always measure bigger? I just, I've it, never heard of an ultrasound say, oh, well, your baby's going to be eight pounds. And then the baby comes out to be 10 pounds. It's always bigger. It's well, <laughs> and with V-backs, it seems yeah. like it was too. And what was really funny and what I think happened was that I think he was so far engaged already in my pelvis that that's why I read small. That's because what my little boy did. He read I, small like that, but he wasn't small. Yeah, he wasn't small. And I hadn't been reading small like the whole time. It was just at the end. And like, I don't think it was per se that he dropped. He just was really well engaged. And so I had done um, some spinning baby stuff. And I had done chiropractic with this pregnancy, and I had been a lot more active. So a lot of people had said, oh, well, maybe I'll have a a faster labor. Well, I did. I had a lot faster labor. And so I just remember being shocked that, one, I was able to do it without any drugs because I don't consider myself a person with a high pain tolerance. And, two, just how fast the process was and Mm. how it was trying to connect what had just happened in such a short amount of time was really, was really overwhelming, like in a good way, overwhelming, but it was just, it was a very intense labor for me. And it was very intense at the end. And there was definitely concern on my husband's part, probably that we were going to have a baby in the hallway, (laughs) I think. And he was such a good sport about the whole thing. And like before we even had him, we knew we were done having kids, but I think this labor would have absolutely sealed the deal because we would have had to have had a home birth with more kids because if I would have labored less time than that, we never, we never would have left. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, it was a wonderful experience. And I guess the big takeaways that I got from it was like really trusting my intuition as far as my provider and not worrying about what other people thought, because I was pretty vocal about having a VBAC and as you know, it's really important to surround yourself with people that will support that. You know, it wasn't like I was leaving a provider that I would consider unsupportive to go to a provider that was supportive. I was just leaving a provider that really I didn't like the backup doctor. Like mm-hmm. the care that I had received was fine, but just knowing that that person was going to be there wasn't the right decision for me. And so the really, the really funny thing about all of it was that, so I switched to this midwife group with the great VBAC statistics. Well, I delivered with the hospitalist, so the doctor that was on call and a resident. And the funniest part of the labor, not for me personally, because it wasn't my fault, but they were like, when I got on hands and knees, they're like, okay, we're just going to, we just want to do a quick check to make sure it's okay for you to push. And I swear that the doctor must have laughed as he let, as she let the resident check me because apparently it was like a Shamu water show and like my water broke all (laughs) over the resident, like down to their shoes. Like, I guess they had to go change afterwards. (laughs) And, and so I asked my husband, I was like, was the doctor like laughing at the resident? Like, yeah, you go ahead and check. Cause the, my water bag just had to be bulging. Like there was no reason that they probably needed to check me and but at that point I didn't care but yeah it was pretty funny to uh apparently I shamooed somebody that's hilarious I love it. <laughs> I love it. that's awesome it's a birth they'll never forget <laughs> it's a birth well and my midwife came and saw me the next day and she was like so uh you're pretty famous here on the floor 
spoke to resident I hear and she was like she's super sweet and she's an older lady and she's like I'm sorry that I missed that and I said it's okay I said you know I knew a lot and I knew that this whole facility was supportive so I I guess I wasn't worried about who was catching my baby at that point yeah yeah you felt confident that no matter who it was they were gonna be great I love it they were I love it So, and yeah, earlier in this episode, we kind of talked about partners and sometimes partners not really being on board with the whole VBAC idea. And um, definitely, I, I don't know many that are like rooting for car births necessarily, <laughs> um, husband-wise, <laughs> but um, we have a blog that we wrote, actually, Julie wrote it. And it's all about how to try to get your partner on board with VBAC. And she lists some awesome things. So um, check out our blog. And also in that blog, we have a special episode by one of our mentors. Her name is Lynn Christian. And so check that out too. It's special episode number nine. I think that it's an awesome episode for anyone to listen to, whether Absolutely. or not even hiring a doula or feedback or just really understanding the personality and how the brain, heart, and gut really work. So mm-hmm. check those out. It's on the vbacklink.com slash blog. Or if you didn't know this already, you can actually listen to our podcast straight from our website and that is found at the vbacklink.com slash podcast so if you don't have um, spotify or apple podcasts or google play or what is it called google i don't google know podcasts. Good, google, google podcasts google play podcast yeah something like that we're there too yeah you can head over to our website yeah. so check it out and Seriously, so thank you so much for sharing your story. I love it. It's awesome. I kind of envy you in a little bit of a way <laughs> because my VBAC was so dang long. And I'm like, I want that. I want to be able to go fast like that and have a hospitalist deliver my baby. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing and for being such a dedicated follower to us. Yes, thank you. If you want to find out more about Sarah and how she can support you in your own VBAC as one of our VBAC trained doulas, you can go to our website, thevbacklink.com slash find a doula and click on her state, which is Nebraska. And you can write from there, email her or go right to her website. Give her a follow on Instagram. Her Instagram is BB, like boy. So the letter B two times, BB eyes birth. And she's right on Instagram. We're going to tag her in our posts on Instagram. So if you just want to find the VBAC link, um, go over there and find her post and click on her link. Her website or her birth, I guess, her birth company is called Baby Blue Eyes Birth Services. She teaches local VBAC courses there. She has great doula services and she is a wonderful, trained and educated VBAC doula. And we just love her so much. I wanted to say one more thing about that blog. We actually also have a worksheet in that blog, linked in that blog that you can download about how to talk to your partner about VBAC. And it's like an actual step-by-step worksheet that you guys like write down and fill out so you so you can actually have a good conversation and get to the root of where the issues are. And that's also linked right in the blog. So we have three things for you, a blog, a podcast, and a worksheet. worksheet. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh-huh. how important it is to us that you guys are able to talk to the people that 
that you love the most and that love you the most about um, the things that are most important to you about your birth. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.